Welcome to KISS FAQ's Song Stories. In this series, we'll focus on the histories of some of KISS's best and least known songs. In this episode, God of Thunder, originally released on KISS's Destroyer album in 1976. Okay! According to Gene Simmons in Guitar World in 1992, by the end of our third record, we'd gotten very used to each other's songwriting styles. Paul's songs were always a little snappier and happier, and mine were always darker and gloomier. So we'd poke fun at each other sometimes, and Paul once said to me, anyone can write a Gene Simmons song. To prove his point, he came back the next day with God of Thunder. Paul made it clear in Guitar World, commenting, It's in Gene's nature to glamorize a story and make it more interesting than it really is. Here's the real story. When I wrote that song, it was all about me and the lyrics were almost identical to what was recorded. Although it became known as a Gene Simmons song, it certainly wasn't written for him or as a joke. God of Thunder and Rock and Roll, as it was fully titled at the time, was among some 15 song ideas demoed at Magnographic Studios in mid-1975, with road manager J.R. Smalling filling in for Peter Chris on drums. Peter was purportedly on vacation during one of the band's infrequent downtimes that year. Unlike what it later became, Paul's original vision is upbeat and catchy, an almost danceable song, as Gene observed. The riff is raw, played casually without menace. Paul suggested in Face the Music that the riff reflected the resulting compromise between what he heard in his head and his limitations as a guitar player. Paul's vocal delivery on the demo is prancing and posturing, as would be expected from the lead singer and star child. One can almost visualize him shaking his ass while performing to this version of the song. On first listen, one might think that it is a joke, someone mocking the band or Gene with a parody. But elementally, it is one of the best representations of what Bob Ezrin meant to Kiss, and it fully illustrates the progress they would make as studio musicians in 1975 and early 1976, creating their rock and roll Sgt. Pepper's album, Destroyer. But it also clearly disproves the inspirational creation story that has become another undeserved Kiss myth. Perhaps appropriately, given the later cinematic scope of Destroyer, the Rashomon effect is a storytelling method where a single event is given contradictory interpretations by those involved, resulting in differing perspectives of the same incident. That clearly comes into play with the memories of the creation of this song, though to what degree is somewhat of a stretch because Paul could only ever approximate what Gene would be thinking and then writing in a song. 
As Gene told Guitar World, when I first heard the song, I immediately had visions of the scene in Fantasia, where the mountaintop opens and this big winged thing is standing there, something from the dark shadows. But Paul's God of Thunder lyrics totally missed the point. They were almost about Aphrodite and love. But as Paul told Ken Sharp for Behind the Mask, the song was supposed to be his theme song. He said, there's Apollo, there's Zeus, there's the God of the Sea, there's Neptune, all these icons, and then the God of Thunder is me, yours truly. There was clearly a disconnect in the vision of the two regarding the song. Once the band started rehearsing the song with Bob Ezrin during the summer of 1975, it started a rapid transformation. Finding the song, as he described it in the Destroyer 45 box set liner notes, to teenage cockrock, Bob first convinced Paul to slow the song's tempo down to make it heavier. That immediately changed the dynamics, taking the imagery into a darker realm that Paul's upbeat lyrics clearly didn't work with. So the tempo change drove the lyrical development into a more theatrical direction. In turn, the change of the song's direction also drove it away from Paul on the center stage, as Bob explained, to the monster on the right. Bob felt that Gene should be singing the song, given his character as the demon. He felt that fans wouldn't relate to the song if Paul was singing it, and that only Gene could make it believable. Naturally, once slowed down and taking on a darker tone, it suited Gene's vocal style better than Paul's anyway. However, getting Paul to give up the song to Gene took quite a bit of effort. Paul recalled in Rolling Stone magazine that the song was unique in that the song that which became a signature song for Gene was by me and for me. And then I watched as producer Bob Ezrin decided that it was going to be Gene's song. We all agreed going in that the producer had final say. I was hoping his final say would always agree with mine. Paul admitted in the Destroyer 45 liner notes, it's always interesting that Gene's signature song is mine, so I get a certain amount of solace in that, and clearly at this point it's impossible to separate him from that song. But there were changes made to the song, with Paul telling Guitar World that Gene changed the We Make Love Till We Bleed lyric to hear my word and take heed. Other lyrical changes made to demonize the song, some of which have Gene's stylistic stamp on them include, at the end of the second verse, I was raised by the women, I live for pleasure and fun, became I was raised by the demons, trained to reign as the one. And then in the chorus, we'll take it slowly, became we will rob you of your virgin soul. And then of course there was a complete rewrite of the third verse retaining only the modern day Man of Steel lyric. It doesn't seem unlikely that Bob Ezrin had played a more substantial role in developing the song, and that one must wonder whether there should be a question of Paul retaining sole songwriting credit for the resulting God of Thunder, as we know it today. Perhaps that was the price of giving the song over to Gene. The song would be one of the first recorded for the new album at the Record Plant Studio during a 10-day break from touring in early September 1975, while work on Alive was being completed. Other songs first cut at the time included Do You Love Me, Flaming Youth, Great Expectations, and probably Ain't None of Your Business. There wasn't a lot of complexity in the initial tracking. Two tracks were left and right rhythm guitars, another pair were for Ace's lead and what was described as his space solo. A composite vocal track represented Gene while Bob's sons were on another. Backbeat was essentially covered with five tracks, one for bass, left and right stereo drums, plus bass and room mics. Additionally, there was one track dedicated to Echo, an effect that was heavily used on the vocal. The failure under will slowly rob you of your virgin soul. 
To say it's not rocket science wouldn't be correct. The basics, be it the placement of the mics or the placements of the instruments in a room, are one thing, as is the room used for a recording itself. The other thing is the mix and the embellishment, which are full of intangibles that only a master like Bob Ezrin can bring to the table to take the ordinary into the extraordinary. <laughs> That was the mission of Destroyer, well represented by this song. It became more important once Alive took off. Bill Alcoyne had challenged the band to step outside their comfort zone and be willing to create something completely different to that which they had done on the first three studio albums. While clearly still full of classics and slowly taking the band up the rock and roll food chain, those albums had not resulted in superstardom. Bill saw working with Bob as an opportunity for the band to establish a creative credibility. In the mix, the drums play a supporting role, essentially playing along with the guitars, with a couple of fills here and there. Peter explained to Modern Drummer in 1999 that capturing the drums for the song was part of the magic of the sessions. We're at the old record plant in New York City and Ezrin says to me, I'm going to put you in an elevator. At that point it was 3 or 4 in the morning and we were in the back of the building. He'd mic the drums from the 14th floor, there were mics in the elevator shaft, and I was in there with a bass drum. Humorously, he also recalled that two garbage men walked in to collect the garbage during the middle of a take of one song. The sole major drum section immediately precedes the guitar solo before returning to the plotting purpose of staggering the song along atmospherically. bombastic fill turns up again, though reversed, to lead into the final outro section as the song dives into its final abyss. With the vocal being echo-affected for character, most of the song's signature comes from the effects that Bob added afterwards. If there's another important ingredient for the transformation of God of Thunder, into the creature imprinted on fans' minds, then it's the CB radio static and with other thickly layered effects. Bob's sons, Josh and David, provide the demonic children's voices throughout. These completely shift the song into the cinematic landscape Bob loves so much. It's no longer a song, it's a musical tapestry with dozens of layers with focus shifting throughout while the background shimmers. Work on the song would be completed on January the 13th, 1976. God of Thunder debuted in the live set in April, but wasn't included during the band's first European tour. Following extensive rehearsals with the brand new stage and state-of-the-art effects, the song was included in a proposed set list that included no less than seven songs from the album. Detroit Rock City, King of the Nighttime World, God of Thunder, Sweet Pain, Shout It Out Loud, Do You Love Me, and Flaming Youth. The song would serve as Gene's blood-spitting culmination and included Peter's drum solo before reprising the song for conclusion. 
As part of the new stage show, a God of Thunder machine was used in conjunction with the lightning bolts and effects previously designed by special effects guru Ken Strickfadden, some for the early Frankenstein movies. As described in Circus Magazine, the God of Thunder machine plus special confetti roller is a heavy piece of equipment weighing a thousand pounds. Confetti rollers behind the lightning bolts be out a bag and a half of confetti per show, with the God of Thunder machine being located behind Peter's drum riser in front of the KISS logo. With a diameter of 8 feet, the device was an electric ring with internal mirror and lighting elements mounted to plywood backing. From what little can be seen of the effect during videos such as the Wide Shot Anaheim show, it doesn't appear to do much. At the end of the show, when Peter's drum riser elevates at the show's crescendo, it appears to be little more than an electrical cat face, later being replaced by a cheaper and less complex drapery that would simply unfurl as the riser elevated. A seven-minute performance of God of Thunder was recorded and mixed for the abandoned Rock and Roll Party in Tokyo album in early 1977, and a more abbreviated version was included on the Kiss Alive 2 album that autumn. Surprisingly, the song has made regular appearances on compilations such as Double Platinum and Kiss Killers. On the latter, there was a minor edit with the OK Got Reception beginning being cut. On Double Platinum, it was left unmolested other than different mastering with the rest of that disparate material. Bob Ezrin rebalanced some of the effects on the 2012 Destroyer Resurrected project, reducing some of the harshness by providing clearer separation between the various elements and the underlying music without destroying the character or the original intent. The song was given full Dolby Atmos and 5-1 surround Blu-ray audio treatment by Stephen Wilson for the Destroyer 45 Super Deluxe Edition in 2021, and the song remains firmly as a centerpiece in the End of the Road setlist. 
Unfortunately, during one performance at the KISS 2020 Goodbye livestream from Dubai, the band were forced to change the lyrics due to cultural concerns. 